are back. We are happy to be back with another episode of Positively Pro-Life Podcast. Positively Pro-Life is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation and aims to bring inspirational stories and conversation, important legislative updates and informative interviews as we seek to restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm your host, Ramil Tani, the Education Director at the Federation. And back to co-host with me today is our Legislative Director, Maria Gallagher. Welcome, Maria, to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to be with you today. Well, it is a good day, although a little bit um, on the cloudier side, but I love it. <laughs> you know, there are some professions that uniquely position individuals to uphold the dignity of a person by intimately caring for them in their time of need, like a health crisis, a medical emergency, a pregnancy, or during the last days of one's life. Their work allows them to witness some of the most heart-wrenching parts of what it means to be human. They see pain, discomfort, suffering, and even death. And yet, in those very same instances, they also witness the strength, resilience, and joy of what it means to be alive. Nurses have always been at the forefront of alleviating suffering. They have the privilege of seeing new life come into the world as the tiny human they helped deliver takes his first breath. And they are there when the oldest among us share their regrets. They get to see what many of us do not, and their perspective can perhaps shape our own. Today, we speak with the National Association of Pro-Life Nurses about the threats of life, threats to life within the medical community. But before we do that, let's listen to our legislative update for this week by Maria. Remmel, I think I would be remiss if I did not congratulate you on how eloquent that introduction was of our guest and of, of the wonderful role that nurses play in our society. You, that was you beautiful. Very kind. Very beautiful. Now for our legislative update. The following is from David Osteen of National Right to Life. Top anti-abortion leaders are continuing to lobby Donald Trump on a 15-week ban they believe should be the standard for Republican Party, began a story in the May 18th issue of Politico. A similar story ran in the same day in the Washington Post. These are not publications sympathetic to pro-lifers. How happy are they that a 15-week ban on abortion is supposedly the standard position for the Republican Party and its candidates? That's a far cry from what the grassroots pro-life movement in the states has worked for during the last 50 years. National Right to Life has not been part of the strategy of making a pledge to support a 15-week ban as a litmus test for pro-life political support. There are several very good reasons. First, a 15-week ban is really no ban at all. According to CDC figures, about 95% of all abortions are already performed by 15 weeks. An additional significant portion of the 5% that occur later would be for life of the mother and medical emergency reasons or conditions incompatible with life in an unborn child discovered late in pregnancy. So a 15-week ban would do little or nothing to protect unborn babies from elective abortion. Second, the national 15-week ban strategy becomes even more puzzling since such a ban cannot be passed in the foreseeable future. 
it would need 60 votes in the Senate to overcome a certain pro-abortion filibuster. Right now, it would have at most 48. No one can reasonably expect the pro-life movement to have a net gain of 12 Senate seats in the next election, or even during the next presidential term, especially if pro-life candidates are publicly bashed for not hewing to a national 15-week ban pledge. Third, attacking, threatening, or not supporting pro-life Republican candidates is sure to get press attention. The pro-abortion and pro-Democrat press likes nothing better than to promote and publicize damaging attacks on Republicans and on pro-life candidates in particular. And uh, that's just a portion of David Osteen's column. And that is why we do not support a so-called 15-week phantom ban on abortion because it's really no ban at all. Remmel. Thank you, Maria, for that update. I think that's a very good example of how words and language can be misleading uh, when you use the word ban for limiting and you realize that we're really not advancing in our pro-life cause there. So um, thanks for that update. And Maria and I were just, uh, we were at the National Right to Life Convention this past weekend, and I have to say it was just incredible. So Maria, do you want to share a little bit about it? Oh, it was phenomenal. We had people from around the country who converged on Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to learn, to strategize, to educate, and to motivate. And I was so impressed with all the speakers we had um, from Eric Rosales of EWTN, the Global Television Network, to uh, Benjamin Watson, the NFL star. It was simply fantastic. And if you ever get a chance, I suggest very strongly that you attend a National Right to Life convention. Your eyes will be opened and your heart just may be changed. Yeah, and uh, there were so many inspiring stories that I heard over the weekend. And on my part, I was just thrilled to have the opportunity to meet so many pro-life warriors who have been advocating for decades on this issue and uh, for the cause of the unborn and those that are in danger of of assisted suicide. So um, I also met some newbies like myself, and I think we all knew that we were in very good company there. Um, what I want to share with you all um, is a little thing that, um, like you, like Maria mentioned, Benjamin Watson, the former NFL tight end uh, who played for the New York Patriots was there. And his speech was incredible. Um, and I just want to share a small part of it to our listeners. What he... Uh, during his speech, uh, drawing from his experience of playing on the field, he gave us a very cool analogy of where we are right now in the battle of life. When his uh, team played, he said that halftime was a crucial time for them, for the team, because the coach would call his players together and having watched the game play uh, itself out in the first half, he would then tell them what went well and what did not and where they need to change their game. Now, Benjamin Watson actually used that and said that, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, so, uh, <laughs> but this is the gist of what he said. He, he said that this is our half time, you know, uh, Roe has been overturned and that gave us all an opportunity to re regroup and especially the National Right to Life Convention. It gave all of our national leaders um, and people who have been, uh, at the forefront of this, um, 
to regroup and assess what we have done well in the past, in the 50 years that role existed, and where do we need to up our game? Uh, but what I loved most was what he had to say after that. Now, uh, he said that we don't have to be discouraged with what has happened, what has been. Uh, we also don't have to be discouraged that some states are swinging the other way because victory is not determined by what you scored in the first round. There are games he said he played where they seemed to be losing. It was a losing battle in the first half, but they just had a major comeback and came away with stellar victories. And that's kind of the story of life. And in our cause, especially because of how honorable our cause for life is, that life itself is what we're fighting for, um, and that this battle is still on, we do have a real chance of winning as long as we keep fighting. So we might have to come from different angles on some things, but um, he talked about how now is the time for us to regroup and analyze and move forward with, uh, with some strategies. So I thought that was very inspirational and I thought that that just spoke into a lot of our efforts here at the Federation and, and also at every pro-life organization that exists. So that's, um, I hope you are all inspired by that, that little analogy that he shared that I was privileged to, that Maria and I were privileged to hear over the weekend. Now, moving on to our guest interview. Nancy Valco is the spokesperson for the National Association of Pro-Life Nurses. With over 45 years of experience as a registered nurse working in medical ethics, critical care, oncology, hospice, home health, cardiac and dialysis specialty areas, she has seen how the culture of death has influenced the healthcare industry. She provides an ex expert perspective on life issues, healthcare, and ethic on her self-titled blog. She currently serves as a legal nurse consultant working with lawyers on healthcare legislation, healthcare reform, and amicus briefs. Nancy, we are so glad that you are on our show and that you accepted to be here with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm just delighted. Yes, we, we are too. Um, you have been at this you know, for a really long time. Uh, but can you tell us a little bit about your organization? What does the National Association of Pro-Life Nurses do? Well, um, the National Association of Pro-Life Nurses, I've been with them for oh, 20, 30 years, something like that. And uh, they're a wonderful organization and the only real one of its kind that uh, stands up for the most vulnerable and for nurses and I was very involved in the beginning. I got involved in pro-life. I keep saying I am not a volunteer. I am a draftee <laughs> because I was a young um, ICU nurse when Roe versus Wade came down. And I was just horrified like everyone else. No one expected it. But they said one thing that I couldn't agree with. They said abortion will lead to infanticide and euthanasia. And I go, oh, come on. We are so much better than that. I, that's crazy. So it, it kept me for a while until uh, I said, well, I'll work for birthright when I have my kids and they get older. And then the baby doe incident happened where uh, a newborn baby with Down syndrome and a small hole between his food pipe and his windpipe was denied surgery by his parents. 
and they fought for it. The pediatricians were just stunned because that was one of the big ethics things we were taught in nursing school. If you have a child with Down syndrome who needs surgery, you go to court. You know, parents can't refuse life-saving surgery. And um, the doctors were all upset. They went to court and the judge ruled against them. They kept trying. And in fact, I read um, about what they did. And at the end, they were getting so frustrated that they actually went in and tried to start an IV to keep the little boy alive. Um, and it turns out with the parents, the reason they chose that was they didn't want their other two boys to know that they had a retarded brother. But when I read about it, I was married to a doctor and he said, let's adopt baby Doe. We found out they refused every offer of adoption. It was terrible. And I thought, oh my God, the pro-lifers are right. And I was pregnant with my third child. And a few months after baby Doe, I had my daughter, Karen, who turned out to have Down syndrome also, but a very severe heart defect. In fact, so severe, they told me in the recovery room, take her home. She's got two weeks to two months. And I went, oh my God, you know, what do you do with that? So I took my daughter home. I decided to research what it was. And I had an appointment in three weeks with the cardiologist. So I went in and I said, well, I've been doing research. I found out where it was. This is before I learned the internet, but I had called Down syndrome, found out where the latest research was, went back in and asked the doctor. I said, well, there's some stuff out there. And he goes, well, actually there is an operation, 90% successful, but she has to be like 10 pounds and six months old, but I'll support you either way. And I just exploded. I said, either way from what? If you would medically discriminate against my daughter, you can't touch her. And he goes, oh, no, no, I'll be good. And I said, I don't know if I can trust you. And interestingly, he changed his tune and he is now the cardiologist recommended by the Down Syndrome Association, he turned out. <laughs> so sometimes standing up can change minds. Unfortunately, uh, my daughter was pretty sick. She was doing okay. And then she got a pneumonia and she had to be in the hospital. And I had a pediatrician and I had been very careful with her. No more baby does. I said, no DNRs, do not resuscitate, blah, blah, blah. And then I was tipped off by someone at the hospital who I knew from working there that said, your daughter's been made a do not resuscitate behind your back. And I go, oh my God, this is what they were talking about. There's a huge slippery slope. So I called, had that changed. And I had my daughter transferred down to a, a bigger hospital and who had a wonderful chairman of cardiology who was fully supportive because I told him what I'd been through. And some young punk resident, my daughter was on a ventilator, came in one day and said, um, why don't we just get this over with? Pull the plug. And oh. I said, I said, you touch anything, I will have you fired. And I went to Arnie, who was head of cardiology. And I said, Arnie, this is what happened. He said, I'll fire. And this is a quote, I'll fire the little bastard. And I said, try to educate him. But if you can't, then fire the little bastard. Excuse my language, but that's what happened. And uh, we tried very hard. Unfortunately, we lost Karen just before she would have her open heart surgery. She just couldn't stay alive anymore. And it was absolutely devastating. But I was very involved with the Down Syndrome Association and stayed with them. Um, and then my husband had a nervous breakdown after our daughter died and he wound up abandoning the family 
we had another child and my kids were 10, eight and two and skipped the state. So he didn't have to pay child support. So um, I pray a lot, you know, and that's what gets you through all of that. And, uh, but with Karen, so many good things happened. I started doing a lot of outreach. They wanted me to be president, but I said, it's kind of funny since my daughter passed away. I don't want to make anyone feel bad. But interestingly, I was called by new parents and no one ever asked how my child was, which was interesting. And one was a couple who um, was referred to me by a doctor in Florida who had seen my work and um, they were Japanese and the test showed that the baby would have Down syndrome. And that was considered very bad in Japanese culture. I said, really? I never heard of that. So he said, what can I do for them? So I told him and um, the baby was born and the baby turned out not to have Down syndrome. And then he called me and he said, they're really disappointed. <laughs> I said, <laughs> oh, uh, but I do a lot of that. And a lot of people don't know there is now a waiting list of prospective adoptive parents for people with Down syndrome. So um, since then, I had to go back to work, of course. Um, so my house how to figure out how to get my kids through college. It was interesting. And I started um, being asked to write. I wound up being a reporter for the National Catholic Register on very controversial topics. And my first husband was a researcher and he taught me how to write research papers. And now I do. And I have a blog and it's been picked up by academia.edu. And they've even asked me to be on their editorial board. I go, I'm just a nurse with a legal nurse certificate. Um, so I'm punching a little far above my weight. But uh, the blog I really like, I've written for various publications. But um, then in 2015, we lost a grandson. I remarried 20 years after my husband left unexpectedly, but he's wonderful. We've now been married 15 years. But then his uh, oldest grandson got very ill. I knew there was something wrong. And it was like the seventh thing they checked for. And uh, we transferred him to Cincinnati Children's. And I worked all week in the ICU and they let me off on weekends to go up and help. And then we lost him. He almost made it, but we lost him too. And, uh, but they had the same thing happen to them because they had a young punk resident come in and say, let's just pull everything. He was also on a ventilator. And she said, I will sue your butt. Mm -hmm. And so they passed off. He did die naturally, but we were up there every weekend. And when he died, I decided it was time to semi-retire. And I was writing for a, uh, a Catholic woman's magazine and our foundress died. So they said, why don't you start a blog? So that's what I do now. And I travel around the country uh, speaking against assisted suicide, uh, abortion. I do all the issues because I've had experience in all of them. And I say, I'm semi-retired. My husband goes, no, you're not. He says, because you never say no. I said, well, sometimes I think I do. He says, no, you really don't. So you're not semi-retired. <laughs> and but I love what I do. I wanted to be a nurse since I was five. And that's I read a book and I went, oh, and I read everything about it. I always knew that's what I wanted to do in my life. And I have never regretted a moment. Had some tough times. I almost got fired once for refusing to increase a patient's morphine until he stopped breathing when they took him off a ventilator and he wouldn't stop. 
And I was told, yeah, we've got it up to 30 milligrams. I said, I'm turning it off. He's not uncomfortable. I said, he's breathing off the ventilator. Yeah, but the family, the doctor felt sorry for the family. So I went up the chain of command, even talked to the doctor who did his original surgery. I said, he's very stable, but you've got to do something. And he said, oh, I don't want to get involved. So I've had the ethics from the very beginning. I've served on ethics committees. I write on brain death, palliative care, end of life issues. Um, my mother came down with Alzheimer's and cancer and my dad goes, I can't take care of her. So I did. And uh, when I got back into nursing, they were laying off nurses and that was really difficult and I really needed to get back. And um, I finally got a position part-time and they said, where do you want to work? And I said, how about oncology? Because my mother died of cancer. And they go, fine. And I was there and there was a bad illness that causes birth defects on one of our patients with cancer. Three of our nurses were pregnant. Two tested negative, but one tested positive. And she said, uh, um, I'm going to have the amniocentesis, and if it's downs, it's gone. They said, I know your situation, but no, I'm not going to do that. And I told her, I said, listen, I'm not making any judgments, but I'm here for you. Whatever you need, you decide to continue this pregnancy, whatever you need, I'll be there. And she told the other nurses, and they came up to me and they said, Nancy, if that child is born with so much as an extra toe, you are dead to us. I thought, I'm just getting back into nursing. I have to support my kids. Then mm. all the other nurses turned around and they all said, we'll be there for you. Mm. And she had the baby. It was her first boy and he was perfectly fine. And they wound up being pro-life because of that and some other patients that we had. So that was a really um, cool thing. But it's like I said, with the pro-life movement gets... Um, denigrated so much as religious or whatever you know I happen to be Catholic too bad you know I don't apologize for it but I said the thing that we're offering people is if we're the beginning or the end of life is I care not judgmental I care what can I do to help and um, I became I had a lot of suicidal patients and I was the one they called when someone was suicidal or psychotic or had fired every other nurse and they go, you're our last hope. And uh, I had some student nurses, they go, boy, they dump on you. I said, they're not dumping on me. And let me tell you something. The hardest patients, they're the ones that need us the most. And this is where you will find your greatest rewards. I worked with one woman and um, she was dying. And I, they said, she's fired every other nurse. You're our last hope. I said, well, we'll see. So I went down there and she was elderly dying of congestive heart failure. And um, I called the doctor. I said, what's the story with this woman? He says, I don't know why she's still alive. Wait till you see her. So I did. And she was nasty. And luckily, I have no ego. I said, it's because my children never let me have one. And <laughs> I just talked to her. And one day while I was measuring her belly, she burst into tears. And I said, she goes, I look nine months pregnant. And I said, I'm so sorry. I said, this must be very difficult. She goes, you don't understand. I had an abortion 60 years ago. Oh my I never told anyone, I can't die because it's the unforgivable sin. Oh, wow. And I went, oh my gosh. I said, we need to talk. 
And she happened to be Catholic. I said, there's a group project, Rachel, I can be with you, get the priest or whatever. So we talked a long time about it. And she says, I feel better. And she started getting happy, just getting that secret out. It had just really destroyed her. People said it really doesn't, you know, there's no post-abortion trauma. This was a woman 60 years. She finally mm-hmm. told her daughter who was very sympathetic. She had not expected that. But I said, there's no such thing as an unforgivable sin. And then as time went on, she was better. And then uh, I said, what about seeing a priest? And she goes, I think I'm fine just talking to you. And she had a big smile on her face. And for my next visit, they called me right before and they said she passed away quietly in her sleep. Mm. And I went, how beautiful, you know, and how honored I am to have been there. And that, um, like I said, I start every day with, uh, I trust in you, Jesus, now lead me. But NAPN, the National Association of Pro-Life Nurses, which is at nursesforlife.org, nurses for life, one word. We have a Facebook page. We have nurses from all over. Um, I put a lot of news items on it and my blogs. Most of the time I put my blogs on it. And it's uh, open to any nurse. Um, It's $30 for a membership. And um, if there's a problem, we don't care. (laughs) I have to say. And I am their spokesperson. And I'm also on the board of HALO, the Healthcare Advocacy and Leadership Organization started by Julie Grimstead, who a lot of people know. And that's a wonderful organization. And it's a great thing. It's healthcare advocacy and leadership organization is for the medically most vulnerable of whatever age. So they do a lot of end of life stuff and they have a wonderful resource book. I wrote the part on um, ventilators because people don't understand. I've worked everywhere in burns and ICUs and home health hospice and all sorts of stuff. And it's a wonderful resource for people to go to. And it tells you how to help protect your loved one, questions to ask when you go into hospice. Because what we have now is a real negative um, thought towards life. Assisted suicide has gotten so big. And a lot of times when I travel, that's what I do is testify against assisted suicide laws. And one thing I tell them, and it has made such a difference, I was asked to go to Maryland. And they said, it's going to go through. And I said, well, I'd love to talk to the legislators. Well, Compassion and Choices, the big group that promotes assisted suicide, had everything covered. Even the disability people got pushed to the back. And I work a lot with the disability people. I babysit kids with vents and things like that. I, be- I love working one-on-one. And I used to babysit kids with various disabilities, and uh, which was wonderful for my children. Anyway, and you know what, Nancy, we're huh? going to have to leave it there. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. Thank oh. you so very much for being on the program Positively Pro-Life. Well, it does make a difference. And I finally got to talk to a legislator who was apparently on the other side. And he was not happy. He said five minutes. I was there for an hour. And when they had the vote, it lost. The assisted suicide lost by one vote. And we're going to leave it there. Thank you for joining us. And remember, it's there's always a reason to choose life. Absolutely. Thank you. 